This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the RSN Sandown Cup. The gold trip is brave. A hundred to go. A length and a half emissary. Gold trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Good morning, everyone, and happy new year, happy uh, 2023, Simone Fisher, and to Matt Stewart, and all morning. of our listeners, of course. And Craig, our producer, has come yes. back for New Year's Day. So. The prodigal son. <laughs> Great to see Craig. How are we, guys? Um, Simone's playing catch-up with Craig. I noticed your Christmas presents in the fridge. We got ours a week and a half ago, Craig. And he was trying to catch me out. He thought that I was just feeling guilty, and I brought it in recently, but I showed him the text message. I actually asked you, didn't I, Craig, that if you were going to be in over Christmas, New Year's. So, um, yeah, it wasn't an afterthought. You were very much in my thoughts when I had the other two Idiots. <laughs> she had, she had the, the evidence too. She said, look, December 23, text message. So. And uh, Craig is Craig Davis, who uh, was part of our initial uh, journey, wasn't he, with uh, with cracking the codes and uh, uh, has uh, – great to have him back, as I said, the prodigal son, because he's been part of so many of the shows as producer of Cracking the Codes with us, and he's panelling this morning, and we expect everything to go perfectly to start off 2023 uh, the way that we would like it. Guys um, – a lot's happened in 24 hours because we did a show yesterday. Feedback was fantastic on those interviews, and they were great. Um, I did get one message uh, that I thought was uh, funny, and it was related to uh, a warning for listeners at times uh, to make sure that they have uh, a hanky or tissues available because there's been occasions when unprepared... Uh, they've been listening to some of the interviews that's brought about some tears and runny noses and they either have to miss part of the interview <laughs> to go and get something uh, to wipe up their mess. So um, we'll keep that in mind for next time. But they were beautiful interviews yesterday, uh, recapping uh, some of our most favoured moments on Cracking the Codes in 2022. And well produced yesterday, Simone. Yeah, well, three votes. You, Simone. well, hopefully we'll have some good stuff in 2023. Um, gee, today's a... Kind of a representative day of Australian racing. It I is, think. isn't it? Yeah, you know that's what I mean. A good way like to put it. Ha- Hanging Rock, uh, Merton represents the picnics and the the, the grass. You know, the, the the most grassy grass roots you can possibly have. Mm. And Hanging Rock, Burrum Beat for all the reasons. Burrum Beat. Um, you know, we were talking during the week about the dad's army of old guys who volunteers who came out and help, always helped prepare the track at Burrum Beat and. Hanging Rock's ongoing battles with kangaroos and things like that. You couldn't get more of a, you know, Colleen McCulloch, for instance, Dan, your old yep, mate. My old mate. She would, um, <laughs> she would wax lyrical about today if she was yeah. writing about horse racing, wouldn't she? In Mornington, uh, our old mate's running down there today, by the way. Your, your horse. Maldestro's running right? today. The former Mansfield Cup hero. Yeah. So that's a bit of a thrill. It's good that he's still going around too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's not exactly building the lights out at the moment. <laughs> he did have that really good patch there. He won at Kyneton and did he win at Cranbourne as well? Or? What he did was he... He won a few in a row. Yeah, and he, look, he, he's a kind of, a, he symbolises uh, the battler story in a way because he was a gifted horse who was so hopeless early on that we were never going to run a place in a field of four at a picnic. So he was, the, the level of expectation was below the basement. And then all of a sudden something happened and he... Uh, Won the Mansfield Cup, and then he went to the pros and won. He went to the pros and won again. He went to the pros and won again, and then uh, met his mark, and then came back to the pack, and then won a, another string of races. So he, it's been quite a thrill for me, my little gentleman, uh, young Max and Ollie and Tiger and Co. So um, for us, that's part of today's story as well. And um, I've never been to a Burren Beat race meeting, but Is that I right? yeah, Dean Lester's Mr. Burren Beat. But I've yeah. been to a Burren Beat. How does that work? I've Fashions, been to a Burren Beat. Fashions on the field no, related. I wasn't. Yes. Oh, it was 1999 and I was pregnant with Charlie, my son, who I don't talk about that often, but he is there. So quite some time ago, and it was a really, really hot day, I remember, but there was quite a lot of trees. So I think I was parked under a tree for much of the day. But it was a great atmosphere. Fanning, fanning yourself. I had someone fanning me. No. Hey, happy News Day, Charlie, if you're listening, by the way. No, he won't be listening. He'll be... He would have been having a big night, as you do when you're in your 20s. Well, you never know. He might have said to his mates last night, you know what, mum's on the wireless yep. tomorrow morning. She'll probably wish me a wireless. That's an old, old term. I, I really doubt it. But just wanted to mention also the Greyhound racing today. So three meetings, Healesville this morning, onto Sandown early afternoon, onto Warrigal 
early evening. So a big day of greyhound racing as well. And for anyone that's um, following greyhounds and wants a dog to follow, to put in their black book for 2023... Is this Matt um, predicting the next $2 million earner? Well... I'm not going to predict two million dollars. This is the first time you've given us. Is this one of your dogs? No, it's not. It's trained by Des Douch. Um, is Des going to be happy that you're tipping it? I'm. I'm sure everyone is tipping it. Her name is Zara Marnie, and she won at her second race start. She's won. She only had two starts and um, one last start, and she flew around sale, and she was only just a length outside of the track record. Now the sale track is getting redeveloped as of Tuesday, I think it is. Um, she took out the $10,000 maiden race there. So she's one, Zara Mani, that um, has So, Dan, when is Zara Mani going to... all over her. When's she going to ch- click over the $2 million? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. We'll give her 12 months, eh? Well, that's all you need, yeah. isn't it, Simone? Oh, that, well, that, that's, who, who knows? In the life of a greyhound, yeah. Yeah. it's probably, what, in some cases, up to 50% of their uh, their racing life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I copped the 9.30 fireworks in uh, Morty Alec last night, and they were spectacular, but I reckon the other thing that was lighting up the sky was about 50 k's to the west, Dan, and uh, last night at Tabcourt Park Melton was... Uh, now, was it every coming into the meeting? Uh, you know, the twelve group ones. It was just an extraordinary sort of setup. Uh, everyone in harness racing says, "No, this in a funny way, it's the biggest meeting because it's the it's yeah. when the biggest crowd goes." And yeah. what a perfect night! I drove past the other day coming back from Bacchus Marsh, and they, I saw that at the corner of my eye, a jumping castle in the yeah. corner and all that. So, what was the vibe like? We'll talk about the racing in a minute, but what was the the vibe like at Melton last night? It was excellent. You've been to enough racetracks. The ambience is not a word you often refer when big crowds are there, but it was such a well behaved, uh, comfortable, uh, sated uh, audience that was there yesterday, and I felt it had an ambience. The music wasn't too loud. Sometimes it was just driving insane. You go to the gallop sometimes. DJ, DJ now. or live band? Nah, well they had DJ, uh, but it was terrific um, and decent music. But the crowd was settled. There was plenty of space to sit under the umbrellas in the heat of the latter part of the day. You can imagine at night, it was fantastic. It was just great being outside. The racing action was terrific. In fact, the highlight of the night came up in race four with the Lost Storm. We'll get a chance to chat with Emma Stewart a little bit later about that. And I think that it happened earlier on in the night. Even those that weren't au fait with harness racing thought, wow, this is pretty big. And relaxed. And it was such an enjoyable night. The crowd-wise, it was excellent. It usually is. Um, and for those that might have gone through the course of the night or towards the end, they were a place for people that might have specifically been coming for the fire works but the major part of that crowd was there for the majority of the night how many you reckon rocked up um it was gold uh coin donation so effectively free entry bar that little donation um i'm not great at guessing and it's hard to uh but i would have thought five i would have thought about five five and a half yeah Yeah. what do you think simone you were there it it was really trying to entice horses to have a wee yes in the swabbing barn but I was up the far end, Dan, on the, just past the winning post on the first turn, effectively. And so it's hard to look back and yep. you see a good crowd, but you don't know how far back it extends with all those tents and the food court area. So it was, but as the night went on, it became a lot denser, the crowd. And when I left at about 10 to 12, when there was people, we had to wait to get out of the gate for people to come in the gate with pushers and little children to watch the fireworks. So people were coming specifically for that later on in the night. Driving home, there were cars everywhere on the freeway parked. And even at Melton, it was, I thought, well, I'm glad I got to park at 3.30 in the afternoon because you wouldn't have got one. It was, so that's why people are parked on the side of the road. So I was driving home, um, towards the ring road. I thought, well, oh, I won't go a back road on New Year's Eve. You just don't know. There might be some people who perhaps shouldn't be on the road. But I saw killers. a few yesterday yeah, coming back from killers. here during the day, so there's going to be more of them at that time of night. So I went home the, the freeway and um, all I, coming over, oh, I don't even know where it was, but um, all I could see was a whole Melbourne skyline lit up by fireworks from uh. left to right. It was and I was thinking of these poor dogs in backyards. I hope they're all safe and we don't have a, a lot of dogs running around, but... It was quite spectacular, that, but I wasn't hanging around at Melton. But it looked – and the weather was really good, Dan. Yeah, it a was. A beautiful night, people with their picnic rugs, little children, babies, all the rest of it. But the other thing I really noticed was it was very multi- multicultural. 
So a lot of different nationalities there that you would not really associate being interested with racing. That's and a, that's kind of important, really. It, isn't it? It is yeah. important. and it's typical of Melton as well. Mm. Yeah. So I, I I like Simone. You could see um, other nationalities getting involved, and look, a lot of the people that go there are not necessarily uh, racing and climb, but that's where they need to be educated, and that's where HRV need to get behind and support this even more. I don't think they do enough uh, because the Hunter Cup's only five weeks away, and it's a perfect opportunity to educate people, give them some showbags something to read give them an option if they choose not to take it so be it uh because the the nights of glory summer of glory carnival is effectively this is a part of it and the people are there that that amount of people that are there i think they're there they're getting entertainment but i think they want to learn a little bit more about it and give them that opportunity it's funny thing that one of the biggest issues probably across all three codes certainly in the gallops is when do you fire your biggest bullets to get the biggest crowds if you still think that on course matters which it bloody well does uh so we look at today, for instance, there's a traditional big New Year's Day meeting at Flemington, but it won't necessarily be a crowd meeting. They'll get a nice enough yeah. sort of crowd there. At this time of year, as you notice with the empty streets, everyone's leaving town. So yeah. that's why Hanging Rock will be huge. Oh, Barham yeah. Beat will yeah. be huge. Mornington Trots tonight yep. will be huge. Yep, because of all the people up mm. there, holiday makers and so on. Merton will be big because it's picnic and people are getting out of town. And um, Mornington, for instance, I, I, yeah. I'm heading down to Mornington later on. I bet you there's a really good crowd at Mornington. There always is at this time of the year. Mm. So it's all pretty big. Nothing bigger, though, than that performance you mentioned. And I reckon it's great that we're having a chat to Emma Stewart this morning because she's Gay Waterhouse times five almost in a way, isn't she? And uh, the first day of the new year, of all the things that Emma Stewart and Clayton Tonkin have achieved, and I know you were talking off air about how how hugely the, the girls have peppered the premierships and so on, and... The first day of the next year, Emma Stewart, as big as she is, what the hell is she going to do now? Yeah. What well, happens now? You know, she's got two of the most exciting horses that I have ever seen. That performance by the Lost Storm last night, it's the best individual two-year-old performance uh, without a shadow of a doubt. 1.1 seconds off Captain Ravishing's track record, and he's a two-year-old. Uh, the winner last night, two-year-old. So we'll get a good chance to talk with Emma uh, in the second hour. But Emma trained two winners last night. It's probably the lowest tally of group ones that she's had on Vic Bread night. But she probably had one of her greatest ever winners in the history of the Vic Bread last night. I like the fact that she doesn't dead set dominate all the time. I know it's great for her and her legacy and so on, but you don't... You don't want a lot of dollar ten favourites going around on massive nights and winning. A few you, of them got beaten last yeah, night. Yeah, which is I think that's good. Yeah. I think the only shows the, the competitiveness yeah. within some of those races. Uh Beck Bartley's gonna be a guest this morning and conversely, like we had Chris Elford on yesterday. He drove his one hundred and twenty seventh group one winner last night. Oh good on him. And uh Beck Bartley drove her first and she'll be a guest a little bit later on in the show. I was listening to the eleven to twelve show driving home yesterday, guys, and I was astounded. Did you say Chris Alford has had 7,000 and yeah. something wins? You'd think I was, well, you'd I, think I, I was making you a mistake. he'd have to be 250 years old. Well, I was talking to him last night, and I certainly didn't think he was that old, But um, and that was before he took out the Group 1. I just really enjoyed the interview, but 7,000 and something wins. I, it blew me away. I... That's it's just a lot a, of time sitting in a sulky. And that's the nature of the beast, isn't it, yeah. Dan? It is, it's, there's, a, there's a bit of glory, but a lot of toil. There's no doubt about oh, that. no Fun, doubt. Funny you mentioned the, that sort of contrast as well. The, the lovely little race at Mooney Valley yesterday, Dan, where the three-year-old filly beat the 12-year-old gelding by a long <laughs> neck. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> quite extraordinary. Chris Elford, 7,780 wins. And that was his 128th Group 1 win last night. It, phenomenal. I was going to ask you also, Dan, having um, so many Group 1s on one night, like every race a Group 1, is that? do you think that's a, a good thing or do you think sometimes having a couple of Group 1 races throughout the program highlights those races more? Because it was just churning out race after race after race. Do you think that sometimes the Group 1 prestige got lost because it was just bang, bang, bang? Every race was a Group 1? In, in a Breeders' Cup sense, I think it yeah. worked. The only little niggle I had was, uh, as well as the too many really, really short price favourites, and it was great that, 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 that some of them got rolled. I mm. think you, you can't just have an accumulation of dollar ten pops, but are they true Group 1s? Uh, well, they're, they're Vic bred. So pretty much every horse that 
is in Victoria is Vic Bred. When I say in Victoria, pretty much born here. Of course, a lot of horses come from New Zealand. Can you have a state only well, group if, one? That, that's what it is. That, yeah, that's no, but can they be a true group one? But there was a, there was one. Well, horse I think because it's an industry night. It's an industry night because it's Vic Bread. It's you can be parochial on this night, and it's a special night. So yes, but that could change next year because the the pacing group ones go to uh, one hundred and fifty thousand. So to keep in line with that, um, all of the races will have to be a minimum of that amount of prize money to stay that way. At least in the pacing ranks, the the trotting ranks is a little bit different. So the difference is it's unlike a Hunter Cup or a Great Southern Star or a Victoria Cup or a Derby and Oaks uh, across the board here. It's the industry night in every category. So there's six trotting races, six pacing races, two, three, and four-year-olds. It's uh, to, boys, to me, I mean, I'm not knocking it. I mean, it's it's a spectacular night, and they're all great horses. And I certainly and, wasn't either. I'm just putting it out but, there. But it's, it's, a bit to me like, it's a bit like having a Magic Millions group one. Uh, in, in a sense, well, yes, it is, absolutely. But you can't have that. No, you can't. But um, no, you can't. But every horse, if every horse in Queensland... It was Queensland bred, and, and let's face it, a lot of them through their breeding uh, systems are, whether it's harness racing or whether it's the gallops. But here the Vic bred is uh, the most participated um, breeding scheme in harness racing anywhere in Australia. So th- technically it is, it's a restricted. Mm-hmm. But everyone in Victoria that breeds a horse here or buys a horse at the sales, let's face it, you're not going to buy a horse at the sales if it's not Vic bred. No, no, true, but because look, there are I, bonuses there, as well. I was going to say there the is way. a little niggle in my mind about mm. the restricted pl- plus group one doesn't yep. quite marry up for me. Oh, but- look, even if they were group two, so the selling point is they're all group ones, twelve races on the program. But it doesn't matter; it would still have that same. Um, but when you're getting horses that are winning like Emma yeah. Stewart's last night, it doesn't. Yeah. If they're all superstars, that's all people think. Well, about. you know, you remember it for that, don't you? And and that was race four on the program, and a lot of other horses that went around last night are, are top liners after a long season because the season in harness racing is now the calendar year. It's only been that way for the last two years. COVID uh, spurned that uh, along a little bit. So Beck Bartley's going to join us. We talked about um, some of the meetings today, um, and Adam Olzanski, he's got a bucket list, uh, and we'll find out more about when it triggered in his mind how far along the way he'd gone to go to call at all the tracks in Victoria. And he's ticking another one off that bucket list today, and it's Merton, so he'll be joining us in just a a little while. But when we think about these places, and and I think Viandon's the horse, when you run through his CV for some of the cups that he was able to win at Neil and Witchy Proof, Burrumbead, Hanging Rock... um, and particularly Hanging Rock today, it's hard to not think about Hanging Rock um, uh, associated with the late Jack Styring who passed away and uh, this year. Um, calling, uh, I think, for over 60 years. I remember when I was a kid, uh, Jack would ring me up and say, ask if I was available to call Daniloquin or, or Kerrang or wherever because he had multiple venues, all TA, uh, non-TOBs at the time. And he passed away this year, sadly missed. It'll be his first... New, uh, New Year's Day Hanging Rock without Jack and we picked up a tribute uh, for Jack uh, from Racing.com It was about 1935 after Marabou won the, the Melbourne Cup my grandmother brought me down to Hanging Rock and um, I guess I've been coming along for a while Super Zeal in front, El Wafi has clicked the mark with a stride, and El Wafi is going on to win, and El Wafi has scored pretty well. I'll never forget one time uh, I was president, and I was still calling the races, and anyway, a fellow objected to it. He said, you shouldn't be president and calling the races as well. I said, there's nothing wrong with it. I said, right, I'll give it away for the day. So I got another bloke. He was, he was pretty ordinary. They came to me, come on, Joe, call the races, because I think he called the last horse first or something similar to that. It's a great joy, it's a great pleasure, and uh, I'm. Uh, it thrills me that I people come up and say, G'day, Jack, shake your hand. It gives you, you almost think you're royalty. But no, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful occasion. And no fear about that. Runners heading off to the gates for the first, the Jack Styring OAM handicap. It could be you, Piggish. It could be you, Piggish. I don't know. It could be you. Or it could be Piggish. There is something special about Hanging Rock. 
that you don't get it out of your out of your system easily. And to have a race named after you is a is a great pleasure. It no doubt is. And uh, yes, we're all in it for the for the love of racing. And let's hope that we all have uh, the pleasures of racing that I've achieved. Yeah, legend. Uh, he, he sadly missed. It was a wonderful little tribute there um, uh, with Jack and his reflections of Hanging Rock. And as I said, he, he was very much a part of the furniture, not just at Hanging Rock, but across particularly non-tab horse racing over, well, decades. And in, and, and a institution in the press room in recent yeah. years. And that was the tragedy of COVID was... We knew Jack was coming to the end of the end of the road, and then COVID got in the way, and then you you didn't, and then Jack died. So, you know, the eternal handshake that never, you know, if you fell off a cliff, you'd want Jack to grab your hand because he'd never yeah. let go. And the voice, though, it was I've never heard anyone else that sounds like Jack. He had the most, like from an individual voice, people might be able to put it on. Um, uh, to to mimic him, but there's no one else I can know you do, can that you had do a Jack? No, no, we need clothes. I, I can't I, even do myself. Oh, yes, young man. I, I sort of used to be able to do one, but <laughs> your then, best was Jim Lula. <laughs> but then the problem with my Jack is it becomes Jim sort of halfway through. So, but the the I'll just retell the story because it's you know this is Jack, so we, of course we can tell it again. Uh, the houseboat, the the booze boat story up at Nagambi uh, when. Ian Remington was sponsoring it. He was working for Swetnam at the time, and um, it was really amazing. There's a heap of us, and we booked out all these cabins on the river, uh, Jerry Ryan's cabins, and we had a function at Mitchelton Winery up in the, you know, the pointy bit at the top of Mitchelton Winery? There's a pointy bit. It's a dining room, and the, oh, yeah, the yeah, Sankster yeah. family were our drinks Like waiters. the cellar. Is yeah. that like the well, cellar? Well, it's sort of like an attic. Oh, there was, I remember, I've been there, but go on. So... Anyway, we had this beautiful night at the at the Mitchelton Winery, and we went we went along on a river a, a river boat, and it was a fo- pea soup fog, and it was a really really creepy night in a way. Everyone was on the Reds because it was a winery, but Jack wasn't a Redman; he was a Scotchman, and this is where Jack got in. He, he, he over raced. Ah, right. So on the boat, so on he the, was bearing his molars. He to was the bearing his molars to the porcelain, actually. The way back, we sort of lost track of him, and we know we knew he'd gone a bit too hard. And he was even then he was in his well in his eighties. So we were all a little bit mindful. And Jack was so entertaining; he was the best entertainer. And then we all shuffled back to our cabins, and then we went to a seminar in the at the. There's some sort of a seminar room at the a van park. We all rock up and there's one empty chair and it was Jack. And everyone's going, oh, is this the moment? No, okay, well, Matt, you're dispatched to find Jack because I was in the cabin next to Jack. I'm walking towards cabin 33 thinking the worst and am I the one who's going to, you know, have to deal with a potentially devastating situation and I'm banging on his door and banging on his door and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to report in. Call triple O, is it triple nine or triple whatever triple it is? Um, and then I hear this, what the hell is it? I'm like, what? Uh, Jack, he goes, what do you want? <laughs> he came out and he was looking, he had still had his, he fun, he, he was getting dressed because he always liked to present. So, and he looked immaculate and he looked at me and said, well, you look like you've had a big night. And I said, well, we thought you died. So <laughs> anyway, and then he shuffled off and, um, the rest is history. And then Jack lived many, many more years happily and entertaining people and being much loved and, uh, pressing play at press conferences with his yeah. tape recorder instead of record. And, uh, and in the background of nearly every interview that we saw on racing.com for many years as well, we stitched Moody up once. Moody came up to me at the races and goes, uh, gee, Jackie. You, you kind of can't shake him, really, can you? Because he gives you that handshake and he won't let go. And and Jack and I saw Jack later that day, and I said, "Oh, Mood says he hasn't seen you today, and he, he wants you to want you to go." He went up to him again, <laughs> grabbed him by the hands. Uh, anyway, Jack was, character. and then there was the race calls, and the, yeah. uh, nah, he was he was such a gorgeous man, Jack Styring. Sixty Gunbauer Cups. That's amazing. Sixty. Cups in a row. It's quite yeah. phenomenal. But the thing that struck me, Matt, is the article that you wrote and the photo of him with the hat on and the tie yeah. and the waistcoat. And I think it's one of those things that when you watch movies like Farlap, that's how the men dressed. Yep. You get around to the picnics more than any of us. Do men in their later years still dress like that? Like, because it, The belts get a bit higher, I've got <laughs> right. to say. They do tend well, to creep up. There was a discussion about high belts. <laughs> there was a little bit about there. that. Um, he was just... A, 
and a fob. I don't know whether he had a fob watch, but I th- pretty much I imagine there was a fob watch there. And no, very think, classy. Yeah, very, yeah, and he was just adorable. Gentleman, yeah. And his wife, they they were very Dolores. big with Christmas lights and all sorts of things as well. So, um, and the Jack Styring Bar will hopefully live on forever at Hanging Rock. So that's going to be there forever and be well patronised today, as will be the bar at Merton. When you think of the Big O, right? There are three things I Royal Oberson. Royal Oberson. Octagonal and Adamo and Adam Olzanski. And he'll be back to chat about his bucket list after this break. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. Adam Olzanski is on his way to Merton Picnics today uh, and it has a significance. He goes there with a smile on his face, not just because you're going to get paid loads of money for doing it, but he ticks off another racetrack on what's now become a quest, a bucket list quest, to call it every racetrack in Victoria, and he is well on the way. I think there's only three to go, including this one. Adam, how are you this morning? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dan, Simone, Matt. Yes, uh, looking forward to getting up to, to Merton today. Uh, yeah, another one off the list, and... Uh, going to be a warm one as well, so uh, I'll have to keep hydrated. I've been uh, warned that I, I must bring a wide-brimmed hat. There's no broadcast box, so to speak. You're standing on a, a veranda and you're out in the sun and the elements all day, but uh, it's part of the the appeal and the, and the, I guess, the uniqueness of going to these different venues and, uh, and checking them all out. Part of the I reckon the best thing about going to these meetings is the journey, and I'm, you're, so you're starting out from you're down on you're down on the peninsula, is that correct? I'm in Wontaggy, so back oh, coast, uh, past Phillip Island. So I've uh, I've had an early start today because I've actually gone to Stony Creek first to do a little bit of work. But uh, I've, I've I've made my way. I'm in around Lilydale at the moment, so I've just come off the uh, the East Link, and uh, I'm going to be going through the, the hills up to um, assuming Alexander, and then to, to merge on that route. So, uh, but you're right, yeah. Uh, I see a lot of Victoria, I see a lot of country roads, and this is a, a road that I don't travel uh, a lot. There's no professional tracks along the route I'm taking today, apart from, of course, Yarra, Yarra Glen, Yarra Valley. So yeah, no, you're, you're right, it's definitely part of the experience. And there's a town, you know the ones that make you giggle a bit when you go past the sign or go through them? You, you'll, you, you'll have a little smile to yourself, no doubt, when you go through Yark. Yark. <laughs> Y-A-R-K, Yark. And there is a good bakery there, Adamo. Is it? Yeah, well, it'll be the second town with a funny name I've been to today because I, I stopped off at Poowong, uh <laughs> this morning. So, uh, yeah, no, looking forward to go to Yark, and uh, I'll take your advice and I'll stop in for, for a bite to eat. Well, you go to that bakery and it doesn't turn out so well. Yes. Uh, you'd be thinking, <laughs> yuck. Well, it was like when I used to convince the kids that the next town along from Yay was Yippee. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to go on the railway line, like the uh, upfield railway line when I was a kid, and you'd, you'd get to Batman, and I'd always say to everyone next to me, the next stop is Robin. Uh, <laughs> there was, just totally diverging somewhere. There's, there's oh, sorry. sorry, sorry, just very quickly. They've got these terrible storms in America at the moment, the worst storm was in a place called hell (laughs) (laughs) there's a place near Bendigo way called Bung Bong yeah Bung Bong (laughs) a really um, interesting name as well but Adam with all these travels you must have some stories some great memories of all these road trips and some of these tracks that you've got to are there any that really really stand out I know you're trying to tick them off your bucket list a few more but are there any that you've been to that um, are just so memorable, they they pop up straight away and you can talk about them? I guess uh, I mentioned uh, what the facilities might be like at Merton today. I guess it's always the broadcast box or the broadcast location that uh, you sort of remember. Uh, and it's funny, I, I called 11 Burrumby Cups and when I was doing that, uh, circuits on New Year's Day in my uh, younger years, I always thought, or oh, potentially I might be able to challenge Jack Starring's 60-odd Gumbauer Cup, but it, uh, it never was going to happen. Um, but Burren beats one track where I started calling from a little booth that was on the outside running rail. It's, I think it's a heritage-listed feature of the Burren Beat race course, but you're on ground level, no elevation, and because you're on the outside fence, it's a head-on view up the straight. And 
I think it took me about five or six years and becoming a bit of a regular there at Barham Beat where I convinced the committee to move me up to where the judge was on, on a platform uh, where you, you elevated it and right opposite the winning post. Uh, but at some of those sort of uh, locations as, as a broadcaster, because many of these tracks, uh, they will put the race call just where, and it's almost a, a, a last-minute thing where, uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago that when, the, when the broadcaster started calling, uh, they didn't really have a place for them. And so sometimes you're standing on the back of a ute, sometimes you're standing... Uh, on a ladder, I've been on a cherry picker that I've had to elevate uh, prior to a race to get up into the sky. Uh, so there's, there's there's plenty of, of quirks to these these tracks, and um, yeah, I, I'm not one for necessarily having that the luxuries and, and having everything uh, you know a, a salubrious uh, setup, uh, and it's part of um, you know part of the experience. And and because many of these are not really purpose built for for race calling. Quite often you're having to, and Dan will be able to attest to this, quite often you're having to lean out at 90-degree angles from from your vantage point just to see the home turn because you'll have some obstruction. It might be the cameraman. It might be yep. a wall. It might be something else. lady with uh, a big hat. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's a president or the treasurer standing in front of you. So. A really large bloke with tattoos who you're not game enough to ask to shuffle along. Oh, well, if you ever got to be game enough, it's at that time because usually banging on the window while you're calling. It's amazing the things you can do. What about some of the boxes? You're talking about, talking about some of these places, uh, the, the broadcast boxes might have been built 50, 60 years ago. Well, there's still a few going around that I know of that are full of asbestos, uh, and, uh, and I think gradually they've been changing them over a period of time. But the, the key is not to drill into them, I think. But uh, they're pretty much holes in all of those. Um, Adam, tell us about this quest that you've got and how it come about and what it actually is. Well, I'd say it's only been the last four or five years where I... And it might have been... Actually, now that I think about it, it might have been hearing about... Paul Dolan, uh, race caller in Queensland, uh, and how many tracks he had called at. And I think it was well over 100. And I thought, I wonder how many tracks I've called at. And so I started making a list, and I realised that making this list that I'd ticked off the majority of Victorian tracks, 68 tracks in Victoria, and I had done over 50. And I thought, oh, there might be a chance I can possibly get to all of them. And, And that's when I started... I guess asking around uh, whether I could, you know, with, with uh, Racing.com, whether I could be rostered on those Sky 2 meetings that I hadn't been or go to some of those venues uh, in the West that I hadn't been to, uh, calling up clubs, whether I could, uh, if the race caller wasn't available, whether I could do a meeting just as a one-off. Um, and Ben Spall, who's got a lot of the, the picnic tracks, has been good to me, giving me Mansfield and Merton today so I can tick those two tracks off. Uh, so it, it was, yeah, it's only really been in the last four or five years that I, I've uh, been on this quest and nearly every year for those four or five years, I've ticked off two or three recently, Eden Hope and St. Arnold, Avoca. I've been to, to those places. Uh, I mentioned Mansfield last season. So, yeah, there's a, a couple of picnic tracks I still haven't been to in the, the east, in the, the high country, Bucken, Swifts Creek and Omeo. I've and been there. If we oh. combine. I went. We went to. I didn't call them, but I did go to Swifts Creek with uh, Shieldsy and the kids last year, and stayed up on Mount Hotham and uh, went down the back. And uh, oh, Swifts Creek's amazing because yeah. it is as far. Uh, it's as far into the mountain country as you can possibly get, and it just feels so different. And everyone rocks up in utes and. Their husbands and wives meet at the once a year meeting. I'm sure at the, at the Swiss Creek races. Uh, I, I told you the well, story. One of, one of the few race courses in Victoria that's on private land. It's farmland, uh, so that's unique in itself. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm keen to get the Swiss Creek. Yeah. So well, I'll tell you. I tell you that the, of the private land thing. Uh, is it the Richardson family or something like that? I think. So we rocked up there last year, and the bloke gets on the PA and says. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the famous Richardson family uh, will not be in attendance today because the whole family's been struck down by COVID. Uh, but if you look over there on the side of the hill, that's them all sitting on deck chairs on the side of the hill, <laughs> the adjacent hill over there. So um, do you ever combine the race meeting with an overnighter as well just to, to take in the, 
the the surrounds in a, in a you know in a, in a in a slightly bigger way as well, Adam. Like if you're going to like for instance, when you go to Bucken and uh, Swiss Creek, you you're going to have to combine it with a nice overnighter at a, at a local pub or something, aren't you? I guess you, you do it, and I must say, as as a, as a rule, I, I probably don't often stay overnight. Obviously, if I'm heading somewhere like Mildura or in the northeast, where it's impossible to do the, the 14 hour return trip in one day, you, you do an overnighter. But quite often, I'm I'm up and back in the same day, and so maybe I do lose a little bit of that experience of immersing yourself in in, in the local community. Uh, but there are definitely those venues where you do have to stay and, and make a weekend of it, and, and you've named a, a couple of those high country tracks. Um, there's a few tracks that might take me a little while to get to, and, and I must say Omeo Hinamunji is probably one because uh, they uh, race very close to Stony Creek Cup Day, and yeah. Tawong race the day before Stony Creek, so as long as I'm at, uh, at Stony Creek, I might struggle getting to, to those tracks, but Hopefully I can tick off um, some venues like Mortlake, Casterton and Monangatang this year, potentially. Um, if Adam Credman and, and, and Rick McIntosh are happy for me to do those. Uh, and Gunbow is another. I've been rostered on Gunbow for about two or three years and they've had unfortunate bad luck in recent years with, with floods and, and COVID and, and they haven't had a meeting for a while. But I'll get to Gunbow one day. Well, if you go to Gunbow, I, I think the highest population of flies, I would think anywhere in the world is Gunbow. So just <laughs> bring as much fly spray and more teen as you possibly can. Um, I, there's only two tracks in Victoria that I haven't been to, right? And that's okay. whether I've taken horses there, strapped them, I've called there, or just been there as part of the public. And one of them is one of the meetings that you talked about, which, oddly enough, out of all the meetings we've been to, neither of us have been to Casterton. I have. I've been, I you won would have won the, on the field she, at There you go. Uh-huh. I did. See, Simone was like a freak at Fashions I, I on the Field. She Adam. had an era, Adam. She had an era where she went from town to town and just nailed it and left in a, you know, just this spectacularly successful Fashions. She had a puffy shirt that was working well for her for a while. <laughs> the story has grown legs, but I have been to Casterton and it was a jumps meeting. That's, they usually have a jump. Yep. And I think live, is it live yep. hedges they yep. call them? Yeah. Yep. Um, that was many, many years ago. I was a lot slimmer and a lot younger back then. And I think it's, is it Kelpie Country or cool? Yep. Yeah. Kelpie Country. Yeah. It was a, it was a good little, um, yeah. meeting. It was. And Coleraine's yeah. just up the road. So you could sort of almost do a double whammy. I haven't done Coleraine, but I have done Mortlake, but I didn't win fashions there. Oh, oh. was there a bit of a, <laughs> a sour taste <laughs> in your mouth? It sounds like, uh, what, some local girl got the money over oh, the or... I can't remember. Oh, protest, dis- protest <laughs> no. dismissed. Hey, Big O, how was, uh, how was Willamai yesterday? Willamai was terrific. It was great to have uh, a decent crowd back on, on the picnic circuit. Uh, yeah, being a New Year's Eve, and it was probably a, a once-off, just the way that the dates fell this year, uh, Willamai was lucky to get that uh, good Saturday and New Year's Eve meeting. And with the, with the amount of people down on Phillip Island and in the area, um, it was always going to be a big event and, and we got a really good crowd. So, no, no, the, the club are really happy with the way yesterday went and, um, you know, myself, after today's Merton meeting, I'm focusing on, on Stony Creek and another, you know, reasonable meeting on Tuesday with still plenty of holiday makers in the, the Inverloch uh, area and, and Wilson's Prom area. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a busy time for me, but uh, uh, it's a good time of the year. Um, I'm going to talk to the guys at Hillsville about um, they didn't feel that Hillsville and Yarra Valley needed to be separated necessarily, whether they're on the same weekend or even bizarrely on the same day. And what the Hillsville guys were saying was there's a completely different demographic that would go to Hillsville as opposed would go to the pros at Yarra Valley, even though we're literally just across the hill from each other. Do you find running Stony Creek and running Woolamai that's a different crowd, like the the Willamite picnic crowd. You're not as you're not going to see a lot of crossover, or do you think they sort of migrate a little bit from the pros to the amateurs as well? Those the crowds, they are an hour apart. Those two race courses, so there's a bit of distance between them. And I, I think the only you know, lack of a better word, catchment area you're probably both feeding on is Inverloch. Um, so I, I do know a number of people or members of both tracks uh, that will go to both venues, but they are very independent in many ways of each other and the way, I guess, they market themselves. Um, they've got very they're similar venues in many ways as well. Um, but, 
Yeah, you're probably right. Also, in the comparison with Yarra Valley and Hillsville, although they're, they're much closer together, that they, they generally do attract a different crowd, maybe a more corporate crowd to the professionals and more sort of laid-back bucks, uh, family looking for a cheap day out at the picnics. Yep. Yeah, no, they're great days out. There's no doubt about that. Well, there's a couple on the list. If you call Castanon, I'm going to prepare to come up there, and I'll even drive you up there. How's that, Adam? And we can both tick off that venue, and I'm going to come to Stony Creek soon as well. Um, look, could... And there's a house we can use in Lakes Entrance for Buckins, so if I can get the house. <laughs> this is a Tiger Keenan connected place on the lake. Yeah where we can go eel fishing, a little bit of buck and races, a little bit of boating. So, Adam, I'll, I'll try and take care of the buck and box that you need to tick. Okay, terrific. I'll leave it leave it up to me. Leave it up to me. You, you've only got a couple of weeks. It's uh, mid-February. No, it won't be this year. I can't get organised <laughs> that quick. It'll be 2024. Give me a chance. <laughs> ah, the journey of a 1,000 miles starts with one step. So the quest is on, Adam. Uh, you said bucket list. It must be a big bucket, but I reckon it's a worthy one. So we'll enjoy the ride with you and have a great day at Merton today. Thanks, everyone. Adam Olzanski there. A big day in New Zealand today. Uh, it's usually Ellerslie, but Speaking today it's... places with funny names. Yeah. New Zealand. Waikikamu Cow. Et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. There's no yark there, but there's a Waikikamu Well, it's, there's a few others. There's a few places that start with WH. There's one place I went to uh, and then to go on through the Bay of Islands and into the uh, Southern Ocean, went deep sea fishing many, many moons ago through the Hole in the Rock and that sort of stuff. W-H-A-K-A-T-A-N-E. And every place that starts with W-H, W-H is the That's F. Funny. It's You're a like F. A, oh, is it really? Yeah, so you've got to be careful the way you say that. Oh, um, oh yes. One no, of the no, great no. Uh, sprinters of all time in New Zealand was a horse called Mr. Tiz. Um, he, he won three railway stakes. It's the feature today, and it's a terrific race. Run at Tarapa this year. It's usually Ellerslie. But he also won two telegraphs. He won all their feature sprints. He came over to Australia, and he won a Galaxy as well. And he, it just extraordinary. It was like Burnborough-like. He gave him a big start and zoomed time. Well, superimposed-like. The year that he won the railway, his first railway, he dead-heated for first. The same year, the other feature sprint, he won the Telegraph, and he dead-heated for first, which I thought was an extraordinary occurrence. And as we go to the break, this is his first railway. He dead-heats with one of my favourite Kiwi horses, Westminster. On the turn now, and it's Her Royal Highness led from Hot Ice as they swing into the straight. Westminster gets a beautiful... Here's Courier by down the outside now with Sir Stacey. 300 to go. Her Royal Highness here are the two big guns now. Westminster on the outside of it. Courier Bay not much between them. Mr. Tiz giving a bit of cheek between the two. Campbell getting anxious on Westminster. Her Royal Highness is fighting well. Mr. Tiz is fighting on as well. Westminster, Mr. Tiz coming at it on the outside at the post. Ah, Westminster a nose. I think to Mr. Tiz nothing in it. Her Royal Highness third then followed home by... Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. Don't care two metres. The outside, Elderbaran Zeus. Uh, then Loxley Lovers. So the three favourites are almost in a line. Don't care, Elderbaran Zeus. Loxley Lovers coming through. It's Don't Care, Loxley Lover getting through on the insides. Taken over now, Loxley Lover. And Loxley Lover goes on to win. It's Loxley Lover with Beck Bartley first. Beating Don't Care and third, Elderbaran Zeus. Uh, for Beck Bartley, the winning driver, joins us on a special night uh, for Beck last night. It, uh, it was her first Group 1 win. We can't see you at the moment, but I'm picturing somebody with a smile from ear to ear. Beck, congratulations. Uh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Tell us about the, the lead-up. It, it surprised a lot of people that you hadn't won a Group 1 because you had associations with horses like uh, San Carlo and Western Sonador, horses that have started right in the market in Hunter Cups, Victoria Cups, into Dominions even, um, and it seemed like that this um, this Group 1 uh, was probably eating away at you for some time. Yeah, that's right. I had a lot of people actually that were quite surprised and uh, I think I read somewhere I'd had 59 uh, Group 1 drives, so I didn't realise I had that many. So, yeah, I was asking to get that one. Beck, going into the race, you weren't overly confident from, is it Barrier 1? Um, can you just tell our listeners and explain to me why that wasn't giving you a huge hope to win the race? Uh, no, I, I was confident. I, it just probably wasn't really ideal. He's a horse that likes to have a bit of room and 
Um, you know, we've sort of never really pushed him out of the gate. Um, and I thought there'd be a lot of speed, so we'd be under pressure at some stage. But, um, you know, I would have liked to have, um, you know, probably drawn out a little bit wider would have helped him. But, um, no, in the end, one was perfect for him. Well, it all worked out really well, Beck. Um, Beck, we're going to have a chat a little bit later on, Dan and I, to Emma Stewart. And she's kind of this towering force in harness racing. What's it like trying to compete in the world of uh, of Emma Stewart? Uh, no, you just, yeah, it's amazing what Emma and Clayton do. Um, you always look up to them and hope to one day that you can be, you know, they've obviously got a big team. I probably don't want to work that many horses, but... Uh, just to be there on nights like that and be competitive with them, it's a feeling. Beck actually drive one for Emma last night, Longfellow, and has had a good association with it. Um, I imagine if people refer to someone having a monkey on their back, I'm envisaging maybe a cappuccino monkey that was sitting on your back. I mean, only you would know that because we were surprised. A lot of us were surprised. But just tell us what it felt like flinging that cappuccino monkey off your back with about 20 metres to go. So what is it? Is a cappuccino monkey a little monkey or a big monkey? Yeah, it's monkey? got the human face. It's a small monkey, yeah. Right. So flicking a, a monkey that looks like a human off your back, Beck. <laughs> Oh, it was a relief, I can tell you. Um, I felt that 50 kilos lighter, I reckon, as soon as I crossed the line. Um, well, that's the approximate that's... weight of a capuchin monkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it was like. And, uh, no, it was a big relief. Um, you know, I held my breath for a long time in that race. It just wasn't trotting 100%. So to get across there, trotting good, yeah, that was a good feeling. Yeah, well, what were the, if you weren't talking out aloud, and maybe you were, whether it's to the horse or to yourself, but were you thinking certain things over the last hundred? Obviously thinking, please keep trotting, please keep trotting. Did you turn really religious? Say a Hail Mary and Our Father. I mean, what goes through your head there? Because you must be thinking, oh, I think this could be it. This might be it. I think it's it. Is that how you felt? Is that how it unfolded? What if the monkey had reappeared and grabbed the reins? <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I didn't even, um, I was just more focused on just trying to keep relaxed and just trying to keep him you know balanced and it didn't even really cross my mind that geez, I'm going to win this I just you know I just want to keep trotting if I can just you know run second third it would be good but yeah I was just so focused on keep keeping him trotting and actually really didn't cross my mind until I crossed the line. Beck, you've been driving this horse for quite some time now so you've obviously built up a really good relationship with him is he a quirky horse? Is he a straightforward type of horse? Is there anything that, um, you know, you, you're on him and you feel that you can do better than anyone else who might drive him? Uh, no, he does have a lot of quirks. Um, you know, around the stabling area, he's so calm and relaxed that, um, you know, on the track, just any little slightest thing will set him off. Um, we pre-race warm him and, you know, you've just got to stick your bum hard in the seat and seat on the foot pegs because he shies and, you know, last night he shied his own shadow when he stopped. So, um, you know, no, he's pretty, you know, during the run he's pretty easy to deal with. Um, just got to keep him, yeah, keep the bit in his mouth. You mentioned keeping him trotting and hoping he kept trotting and not breaking his gait. How difficult is that to do when you're, are you always mindful that he might break? Uh, yeah, he has uh, previous, but like early on in his career, he's sort of just, jumped out of him but um he's actually you know you're you know in those bigger races you're probably more careful than any other race but um how can you help him not break uh just hold him together and pray right (laughs) yeah just keep just relax yeah i just he was getting in a little bit on turn and i just just went with him and um yeah just let him get around the bends and he likes to get up the straight um get out in the straight so when I had to go to sprint lane, he was still just not quite comfortable. It was also trainer John Nissen's uh, first Group 1 win, um, which is pretty amazing. Tell us about the relationship uh, there and also the emotion that must have been shared, not just with you, uh, Beck, but but through John as well. Hey, yeah, I've been driving for John ever since I had my junior, junior claim. So he's been so loyal to me and um, you know him and his wife, Carolyn, were really good friends now and um you know to have someone stick by you for so many years it's you know it's such a privilege and i appreciate it so much and um yeah john's first uh trotter he's ever trained to so 
Um, he went back last year and bought another one. So Is that right? Well, you know, Peter Manning's first ever trotter was Night Pistol, so things are looking good. Yeah, I hope it keeps, hope it goes, keeps going up and not down. <laughs> I actually swabbed this horse last night. It's a lovely horse, and I was walking back to the swab barn with John, and um, he was obviously very excited and elated and he was telling me about how he trained this horse and um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I don't train trotters but he said I don't think he does a lot of jogging but he has them out in paddocks and he does fast work every couple of days is that is that correct Beck um, how he trains him and he was just he's just such a lovely horse I said to him he could be a show horse and he said don't tell my wife because she used to do dressage and I said well that's exactly what he might have a career in later on but um, do you have much to do with his data Day training? Uh, no, not at all. I leave all that up to John. You know, we probably talk uh, once a week, a couple of times a week. Um, he always informs me how they're going. And uh, yeah, it doesn't jog them. They're just all out in paddocks. So I think this guy gets um, fast work every second day, and some others get fast work every third day. So um, they just walk in the paddock, and that's it. Um, you know, they're nice big horses. He's always got them looking really good. and Always stir him up, saying, this one looks a bit fat, and, um, but no, nah, he, he does a really good job, and it works for him, and, um, you know, you know, yeah, he's really enjoying it. Well, tonight at Tuka, uh, you've got a couple of runners there, but it'd be a nice feeling, uh, the first meeting you go to as a Group 1 driver. So that'll be special, but tell us about uh, any possibility of getting a winner at Tuka tonight. Yeah, I think uh, I've got two um, better Robin. She w- was really good at Cranbourne in her last start. Uh, it's only a small field, so um, see how we go. But I've been really happy with her. And uh, Luda, here he comes. Um, yeah, he's a nice bullet on a course. He's just got to get the right run. And um, he loves the Tuka track. So, uh, yeah, good looking forward. Well, enjoy Chuka tonight. Uh, it's a great end to 2022 for you, and I hope the Group 1s continue in 2023, Beck. Congratulations. There's so many people so delighted for you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Beck uh, Bartley there after driving her first Group 1 winner last night. Well, we've come to an en- another end of cracking the codes. I-, I know I say this semi-tongue-in-cheek, but... I always feel like there's only 59 minutes in this hour. It does go pretty quick. It does go quick, and we've backed up yesterday and today, and I'm sure we could still sit and talk for hours and hours. Yeah, we can, can yak. Well, we can yak. We, we can might, yak. we might keep going for <laughs> we, another we, hour. We will. Matt. Just, just I'll leave you to it, and I'll well, listen Simone, to you on the way home. Simone, you can kick back and have a bit of fun with us as well, if you like. Hey, um, just quickly on the next hour, we might go straight into Emma Stewart. I reckon if we can, just off the back of Beck, and then we'll set up the day at Flemington uh, and all around Australia with Liam O'Keefe. Garrett Lynch has got runners everywhere at the two iconic meetings today. Callan Murray's riding at Flemington, the South African. Tom Wood, there's races in Hong Kong, so lots coming up. Dan, we'll take a little break. We will, and as we go into the break, it's Perth Cup Day as well, and I think this was a famous Perth Cup. The horse that won it was first up from a spell, which is extraordinary for a two-mile race, but see if you identify the horse that runs second and maybe an even bigger race he went on to win later that year. They turn the bend. Victory Morn, the chest up with the place first for home. Nice timings trying to wear him down. Rogan Josh is next. And King of Saxony first up is starting to run at them. King of Saxony's coming at Victory Morn. King of Saxony's hit the lead. Rogan Josh, Victory Morn. It's King of Saxony. Rogan Josh, King of Saxony in front. Rogan Josh diving. What a performance by JJ Miller. He's won the cup first up with King of Saxony. Rogan Josh second, photo third. In name only, flying through on the inside.